God tonight, and I want to speak to you on the subject, trusting God in the wilderness, trusting God in the wilderness. And we're going to continue on our lesson that we have been uh, uh, continuing to, to study about walking through the Bible. Now, we are, of course, we have recently spoken about the plagues of Egypt, how that God brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and he did so with the uh, plagues. And in these plagues that he brought upon the land of Egypt, uh, with each plague, God accomplished something. God showed the difference between his people and the people who have trusted in other gods. And, uh, and the difference was that the people who trusted in other gods continued to come up short in their ability to deal with what life was throwing at them. And uh, if you've served the Lord for any length of time, you know that if it had not been for the Lord, uh, we would have no way of coping with what life throws at us. How many have heard the elders make statements such as, if it wasn't for the Lord, I don't know what I would do. Well, they mean that, and it's true. We don't know what we would do if we didn't have the Lord to be with us. And the Egyptians learned that. Things like light uh, being upon the children of Israel while darkness was upon the land of Egypt. Uh, things like sickness breaking out among the cattle of the Egyptians, but not among the cattle of the Hebrews and, and so forth. It was the, 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 when they were in the land of Goshen, the children of Israel were spared and they were saved from these plagues. About the third or fourth plague, about the fourth plague, it changed and Israel was no longer affected. And it was, it was, they were spared by being in the land of Goshen. And the Egyptians were the ones that were struggling with these plagues. So God, not only did he want to deliver Israel, but he wanted to take this moment and express to the Egyptians who is the Lord. Who is the God of all gods? Who is the king of all kings? Who is the Lord of all lords? And God will do that. God has a way of getting our attention. He has a way of letting us know who is really the Lord of glory. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and his heart was hardened again. After one plague, it was hardened. After another plague, it was hardened. And it continued to be hardened until the firstborn of every household upon which there was not Blood of the lamb painted. Uh, firstborn of those houses died. He released the children of Israel finally. But even after releasing them and they left Egypt, his heart was hardened yet again. And he followed after them. Now, you have to know that this man was, uh, this man was horrible to the people of Israel. And the, the great terrible ways in which he treated and mistreated and and murdered and wounded the children of Israel and treated them like they were subhuman. He was, he was due for the wrath of God. And God had given him so many moments to change course. And yet he would not change course. God had, had dealt with him on so many levels trying to get him to leave and depart from his path of ungodly ways. But he would not do it. So in the end, he followed them. He set out to destroy them, to bring them back into captivity. And by this point, God was done. God was done. People can push God to a point where God says, I will not chide with man forever. I will not keep my anger forever. So Pharaoh follows them, and, and they have come to the Red Sea. Now, now you know God had a 
plan. God had a path for the children of Israel to walk. And, and, and unfathomably, the path included the Red Sea. And that's, that's not plausible because it's impassable. You can't get over it, and yet it's a part of God's plan, which teaches us something about God's plans. God's plans will always involve a miracle. Don't come to the point of impossibility as you walk with God and think that, that you have taken a wrong direction or taken a wrong turn simply because it has become impossible or impassable or implausible. It simply means that the moment for the miracle has come. Amen. And if it's a God plan, there'll be a miracle moment required. And if there's not a miracle moment required, then you've probably got your plan, but not God's plan. God's plan will always involve a miracle moment. And they came to the miracle moment, of course, famously the Red Sea. Uh, Moses is standing there not knowing what to do. The children of Israel are pressing on him. In a little bit, we'll see a scripture where the children of Israel refer to him as this man, Moses. And they, they make a statement of, we want not what has happened to this man, Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt. And what you understand is, they didn't know Moses. Okay, Moses had been 40 years on the backside of a desert. And then he just comes strolling into town saying, let God's people go. And they believed him and they followed him and they trusted in him, but they didn't know him. So they didn't know if he was a snake oil salesman. They didn't know, they didn't know if they'd made the worst decision of their life. They did not know him. We just kind of lump him into their group like, oh, Moses stood up and said, I've got a plan. They're like, well, tell us. No, no, no. He had to introduce himself to them. And he, they didn't know who he was, really. And so when they get to the Red Sea, Moses is standing there just as lost as they are. And they're, they are expressing to him their disappointment severely, saying we would have been better off if we had stayed in Egypt. At least there we knew we had a meal coming each day. At least there we knew we had a roof over our head. At least there we knew we had clothes on our back. Out here we are going to die a horrible and painful death. And they said, what do we do now that the Red Sea is in front of us? We will be treated like traitors when the Egyptians arrive and bring us back into captivity. And, and, and they said, let's go back to Egypt. Moses said to them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But when Moses prayed to God, God said, go forward. And I love that. Brother Tenney pointed this out. The people said, let's go back. Moses said, let's stand still. But God said, let's go forward. God will always take you forward into his promises. It might look impossible. It might look impassable. But I want you to know that if the promise of God is upon your life, if the promise of God is upon your life, then you can go forward with confidence, knowing that he will take care of everything you and I cannot control. So Moses, the Lord teaches him, tells him to lift up your hand, lift up your rod. He stretches it out over the water and the waters part hither and thither. They walk through on dry ground. It's one, it's, it might be my favorite Old Testament account. Um, and it is one that defines them for ages to come. It is one that defines them. And one of the things I love about it is all the messianic underpinnings of it. For instance, they asked Moses what to do, and he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. 
I love that part because salvation of the Lord from Hebrew to English is actually Jesus. So he very literally said, when he said, stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah, he very literally was saying, stand still and you will see Jesus. I love that. Because what God did for the children of Israel that day in those waters of the Red Sea is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. And they walked through that Red Sea like we go into the waters of baptism. And when we go into the waters of baptism, we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So pardon me if I note the irony, irony of it being a Red Sea. Because it was a crimson stream that washes me white as snow. No other fountain, I know. Hallelujah. And they walked through on dry ground. Praise God. Uh, can I just break some of this stuff down? I just want to talk a little more about it. Because it was dry ground upon which they walked. I love that because the water had just been lifted off of it. But it was dry. Water just saturated it for years, for generations. But, but, but it, is, it is dry as soon as the water comes up. And that's the way the miracles of God work. When God does a miracle in your life, you won't even be able to tell there was water there. You won't even be able to tell there was an addiction. You won't even be able to tell there was a bondage. You won't even be able to tell that there was a captivity. That's the way the miracles of God work. Hey, we believe in miracles. I know the world doesn't believe in them. The Bible tells us that they don't believe in them. The Bible tells us that they call it foolishness, but it's actually wisdom. And that we don't come with enticing words of men's wisdom, but we come with the demonstration of the spirit and of power. We believe in miracles. And the miracles of God will remove the water and leave a dry ground. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I love that they walked through. You know, I've been to the Red Sea. I snorkeled in the Red Sea. And it was really cool. But one thing I noticed is that there's a lot of coral. And, and it's not just like smooth sailing. You've got to be careful when you're down in those waters that you, don't, that you don't hurt yourself as you are roaming about the seafloor. And that was one of the things that was interesting to me. Because even though it was dry ground doesn't mean it was an easy stroll. And sometimes we fail to see the miracle of God at work because, yeah, the waters were lifted. And, yes, the ground was made dry, but you're still having to dodge stuff. And you're still having to walk around things. And you're still having to mind your step lest you be wounded along the path. So you think God didn't work a miracle because it wasn't all roses and daisies. But hear what I'm telling you. Walk that path. God's delivering you from your enemy. God's delivering you from the adversary. And the Bible says that here came Pharaoh in after them. So once the walls of water went up and they did go up, the Bible says they congealed it was actually a congealing. In other words, they kind of turned gelatin. It, was, it wasn't just like fluid water. It was, it was almost like they solidified long enough for the children of Israel to go through on dry ground. And when they got to the other side, as they're going through, the Egyptians come in after them. And the children of Israel continue on up to the other side. And it's like, thank God for the miracle. But, but what they weren't aware of was that yeah, the miracle was going to be a two-edged sword because not only was there a path for them, but now they're fearful that there's going to be a path made for their enemy through the miracle God gave to them. 
So when they get up on the other side, they look back. When the last Israelite lifted up their last foot out of those waters and into the other side, and all of Egyptians, all of the Egyptian army and all of Pharaoh's horses and horsemen were now in the sea. God waited till they got there, and he collapsed the waters upon the enemy. Hallelujah. And you know what the Lord told Moses? He said, stretch forth your hand. He said, you will never see your enemy's faces from this point. You will never see the Egyptians that held you in bondage. Their faces are going to be wiped out and you'll never see them again. And you won't have to lift a hand to do it. You won't have to fight the battle. God will fight the battle. Hallelujah. God will fight the battle. This is why, when you, this is why Jesus said, love your enemies. Love them. Love them. And if you love them, they may change. One. And two, if they don't, don't worry about it. It won't be on your record that you were hateful and mean and malicious and spiteful and vengeful. Just love them. Bless them which persecute you. Love them which despitefully use you. I've heard people say, you need to forgive folks, not, not so they'll have peace, but so you'll have peace. No, no, no. Forgive them so you'll have peace and they'll have peace. We don't think the way the world thinks. We, we love for real. Love your enemies. Bless them which persecute you. Love them which despitefully use you. And God will honor you and he will take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. Hallelujah. So, Jesus, so, so they get across the other side and the waters collapse upon the Egyptians. And the Bible says that, that Miriam led the ladies into a dance before the Lord. They worshiped, they rejoiced, they shouted unto God. Moses and the children of Israel sang and they said, I will sing unto the Lord. For he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. That's important, not just the horse, but the horse and the rider. God didn't just collapse the water on the horse and leave the rider alone so that the rider could just jump on somebody else's horse. No, no, no. The horse and the rider were both thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Did you hear what he said in verse 3 of Exodus 15? The Lord is a man of war. That is a messianic prophecy that God would become a man. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Glory to God. When God comes into this earth as a man and does war, the Lord is his name. He is Jehovah. He is Elohim. He is El Shaddai. Don't look for a second person. Don't look for somebody different. It's him. It's the same one that just collapsed these waters. It's the same one that drove out the, the enemy. It's the same one that delivered us by his mighty hand and stretched out arms. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And this is what comforted them through the wilderness was that God had delivered them. And this was a part of their heritage from that point forward. Let me take you to Psalm 136. One of my favorite psalms, I, I love this psalm, and uh, you've heard me talk a lot about it, but uh, the, one of the reasons why I love it is because of the repeated st statement at the end of each verse. Psalm 136, verse 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. 
Verse 2, O give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 3, O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. You know, one time I was preaching this, and I got around to the fourth or fifth verse, and I started thinking, man, somebody's going to think that they can just take mercy any way they want to because it endures forever. So I better stop here, and I better explain to everybody that they shouldn't abuse mercy. So I stopped, and as I was getting ready to, to really explain to people, don't you abuse mercy, I felt the Lord check me. And I felt the Lord just kind of say, why, why are you interrupting my word to fix it? Don't mess with my word. Let my word speak for itself. Here's what God knows that I don't know. If somebody gets a real revelation of the mercy of God and how, just how good God really is, it doesn't make them want to abuse him. It makes them want to serve him. Well, pastor, what are you going to do if somebody does abuse his mercy? Well, that's what, that's what Jesus had to explain to Peter. Because when Jesus told Peter, they're going to abuse me and they're going to wound me and crucify me. And Peter said, not so. I will not allow it. I'll stop it. Not on my watch. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you don't understand the things of God. In other words, I'm going to let them wound me. I'm going to let them bruise me. I'm going to let them chastise me. They're going to put stripes upon my back. And when they've done every dirty deed they can possibly do, then I'm going to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then they're going to say, truly this was the Son of God. God knows what he's doing. He knows how to be a good God. And he's mighty to save. That's how he can save to the uttermost. That's how he can save to the guttermost. That's how he can save whosoever will. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's keep talking about it. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 10, to him that smote Egypt, Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. Brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into Hearts, for his mercy endureth forever and made Israel to pass through the midst of it for his mercy endureth forever but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his mercy endureth forever. Glory to God. You see, it was the mercy of God that overthrew Pharaoh and his host. What kind of a God would overthrow, overthrow Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea? One whose mercy endures forever. When you get on the wrong side of God's mercy. See, it, the, the same act of judgment upon Pharaoh was an act of mercy to Israel. Same act. Wrath on Pharaoh, mercy on Israel. What side of mercy do you want to be on? 
You know the cloud that separated them? To the Egyptians it was darkness and to the Israelites it was light. What side of the cloud do you want to be on? Be careful which side of the cloud you want to be on. Be careful what side of the cloud you engage with. Be careful, be careful the people you talk to. Find out which side of the cloud they're on first. Before you, before you start believing everything they say, you'd better make sure they're on the right side of the cloud. You want to be on the side of the cloud that's illuminating life. You want to be on the side of the cloud where every act of God is an act of mercy. Hallelujah. I want to be on the right side of the cloud. Verse 16, to him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. He led them through the wilderness. They trusted God in the wilderness, and God kept them in the wilderness. And so when God brought them out of Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea, they came to this place of the wilderness and God began to deal with them. And, and one of the ways that he dealt with them was that he called Moses into the holy mountain. Now, understand that God wanted all of them to come into the holy mountain. Remember? God wanted everybody there. But it turned out that only Moses went. The reason that only Moses went is that when the children of Israel came out of bondage and looked up at the mountain that Moses said, hey, that's where we're going. And when they looked up at that mountain, it was covered with darkness and smoke and tempest and there were vapors of smoke and there were lightning and thunders and it was like a, it was like a massive hurricane, category five hurricane. And they looked up on that mountain and Moses said, that's where we're going. And they were like, I told you he was crazy. I knew he was crazy. It's your fault. They started pointing fingers at each other. It's your fault. No, no, you wanted to do No, I said, I said, fine, whatever. You're the one that wanted to follow Moses. And they said, we are not going to that mountain. And Moses said, look, I know it looks scary. I know it looks intimidating. But if you'll get inside the mountain, there is a place where his glory can be seen. You know, I know serving God looks intimidating. But if you'll just come in and be with Jesus, he'll make sense of every storm. He'll give you peace. He'll give you joy. He'll give you love. Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, do not trust your carnal mind. Your carnal mind is so deceitful. You know the most deceitful thing you'll ever face in life is not the devil. And he's the most subtle beast of the field. But the most deceitful thing you'll ever face in life is your own carnal heart. What your heart wants. What your heart desires. And so that's why the refrain of this world, go with your gut. Trust your heart. Do what your heart wants to do. That's a bunch of hogwash. Your deceitful heart will deceive you every time. And one of the reasons you're in so much trouble as it is is because you followed your heart right into this ditch. 
You followed every impulse. You followed every whim, every fancy, every little lust of your flesh, every little thing you wanted, everything you desired, and it has landed you in hot water. But Moses is saying to them, listen, I know that doesn't make sense to go up into that mountain, but the God of our fathers is in that mountain. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's in that mountain. Go with me. I can hear the song. Come and go with me to my father's house. Hallelujah. There are so many mansions there. If it were not so, I would have told you. Hallelujah. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. Come and go with me to my father's house. Moses said, come on, let's go to the mountain. But they said, no, 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 we can't go to the mountain. It looks terrifying. But inside that mountain was a bush that burned but wasn't consumed. Inside that mountain was a still, small voice. Inside that thunder and lightning and darkness, because that's what it looks like to our flesh. That's what it looks like to our carnal mind. That's what it looks like to our deceitful heart. Is darkness and tempest and fearfulness and intimidation and words we can't abide by. But when you get inside the presence of God, it all begins to make perfect sense. Hallelujah. And so the Lord called Moses to the mountain and Moses said, God, here I am. I know you wanted everybody. I know you wanted to have a feast in the wilderness and You wanted to bring them into your presence and you wanted to show them your name like you showed me your name. You wanted to show them your power like you showed me your power. But they wouldn't come. And the Lord said, all right, then this is how we're going to have to do it. You're going to have to take my word and give it to them. I wonder how many blessings we miss out on because we just wouldn't trust God in the wilderness. If God's calling you into a deeper place of prayer and worship, Go. Hallelujah. God's calling you into a deeper dimension of sacrificial giving and sacrificial living. Go. Hallelujah. Don't hold back. God's got something for you. And he said to Moses, we'll have to do it this way. I'll have to give you my commands, and you'll have to take my commands and give them to the people. And so that's the way it had to work. But the problem with that is that the people weren't giving the command, getting the commands from God. They were getting them from Moses. Moses was getting them from God, but the people weren't getting them from God. That's why I've told people in our congregation for years, I'm not Moses. I'm not Moses, and I'm certainly not Jesus. That's not who I am. We are all his people I have a role in the body of Christ. I preach his word. I operate in the five-fold ministry. I operate in the gifts and the fruit of the spirit. But all of that is designed to lead us into a relationship with God. It is not to become the mediator between anybody and God. Hallelujah. You Listen, there's one God. And just as sure as there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men. And that one mediator is, listen, it's not the co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal son. It's not the second person. There is no such thing as a second person. There is no such thing as a co-existent, co-equal, co-eternal son. The mediator is the man, man, man Christ Jesus. Because it's what Jesus did as a man that is our mediator it's the blood he shed as a man that is our mediator it's the 
It's the fulfilling of the law he did as a man that is our mediator. Hallelujah. That's who we, that's, that's who we have access by to. God is the work of Calvary. The redemptive work of the cross. The death, the burial, and the resurrection has, has opened up the avenue for whosoever will to boldly approach the throne of grace. It doesn't matter where you come from. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. Because the high priest has already entered into the holiest of all places. One time for every person. Now anybody, 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 and I do mean anybody, can enter into the power and the presence of God and make their petitions known unto the Lord. Hallelujah. But Moses stands before God and God begins to give him his commands and, and the commands are amazing. This is where we get the Ten Commandments. And then God begins to break the Ten Commandments down into bite-sized pieces. And he begins to explain how they're applied to Moses. And he's telling him, listen, you, you, there's certain things that can't happen. He gets into the details of the law through Exodus 20 through 29. And he gets into the construction of the tabernacle. He gets into the Ark of the Covenant. And he begins to talk to him about how it's going to happen. And he goes through fine tuned details pertaining to the law of God given to Moses who's then going to give that law to the people and it's going to every time it's passed from one person to another it's kind of like telephone it loses a little bit of its essence and that that's what happens when the law doesn't come directly from God you've got to get this thing in your heart it's got to be in you a well of living water springing up into everlasting life you can't, you can't let somebody else tell you what it is. You can have teachers. You can have preachers. You can have pastors. But that, that term pastor has to, do with, has to do with shepherding. It has to do with pasture. It's connected to the word pasture. And so all that is is just a leading into green pastures. Is, that's what pastoring is. It's, it's, not, it's not somebody lording over you. He's the Lord. And lest we ever get confused, there's only one Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, so Israel had to receive the law of Moses. And it was the law of God via Moses. And it was, and it was challenging to keep because there were so many added and extra parts to it. It had to be so detailed to the, to the most uh, minute of, of instances of life that God had to, had to try to nail down every little part of it. And, and, and in nailing down every little part of living, he actually was, was going to expose the fact that they couldn't do it. That they couldn't do it. They were weak. That they were not going to be able to keep the law. Because if you're going to just have to abide by a, an index and have to search out an index, that's, you're going to miss something somewhere. Or maybe you'll keep what's written but miss the point. Somewhere you're going to break this law. And they did. Every last person that ever lived has. All of us have. Everybody did. Except one man. Our mediator. God in flesh. The man Christ Jesus. He kept all of the law, every jot, every tittle, every dotting of the I, every crossing of the T, the letter and the spirit. And he took our sins to the cross. Hallelujah. Suffered on our behalf. Was wounded not for his transgressions, but for ours. Bruised not for his iniquities, but for ours. Glory to God. Moses, 
is standing there. God is giving him this law and all these commands. And then while that's happening, down among the camp of the Israelites, people are looking at Aaron. And, 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 and God is telling Moses, you're going to anoint Aaron and he's going to be the priest. And his sons are going to be priests. And his descendants are going to be priests. They're going to be priests after the uh, Aaronic or Levitical order. And, and this is what it's going to be like. And God begins to give details pertaining to that. While he's giving him a commission about Aaron, Aaron is being pressed upon by the people. While he's getting a promotion, he's being pressed upon by the people. And the people are saying, we don't even know what happened to that guy Moses. You remember that guy who said he was going to take us to a land of promise that flowed with milk and honey? Well, he went up into the mountain, up into the mountain. We don't know where he is or if he's coming back. Left us here to die in the wilderness. And Aaron starts getting off balance because he's not up in the mountain with Moses. And Aaron, Aaron begins to try to think his way through this. I've got to do something or this group's going to get out of control. I've got to manufacture something. I've got to put on a show. I've got to keep them entertained. I've got to, I've got to do something or I'm going to lose this crowd. There's going to be mutiny involved here. What am I going to do? And so he said, break off the earrings that you brought in from Egypt. Break them off and we're going to melt them down and we're going to build something out of it. And what he built was a golden calf. And this is what he said. He said, these be the gods that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That wasn't the God that brought them up out of the land of Egypt. To him who smote the firstborn, because his mercy endures forever. To him who overthrew Pharaoh and his host, because his mercy endureth forever. To him who divided the Red Sea into parts, because his mercy endureth forever. He did it. God did it. Not this golden calf. Not this creation of man. Not this manufactured religion. God did it. And here they are worshiping. And they built an altar unto the calf. Now, you know, Aaron really kind of spiritualized. If you really pay attention to the language of it, Aaron, Aaron kind of made it kind of God-ish. Kind of the Hebrew God-ish. He kind of tried to put a little uh, spin of the God of our fathers on it. But it wasn't. It was a golden calf. There are a lot of times where we try to spiritualize our own manufactured efforts at pleasing God. And it's nothing more than idolatry. It's nothing more than serving something besides the Lord himself. And that's what Aaron did. And the Bible says that. That they sat down, they made an altar, they offered sacrifices. Then they began to eat and they began to drink. And then it turned into a bad situation. By the time the evening rolled around, it was a full-blown party. And they were all out of their minds, out of control. And Moses is up in the mountain and the Lord is talking to Moses. And all of a sudden the Lord stops and says, wait, stop, hold on. Go down, go down off the mountain. They have gone quickly out of the way. Sometimes in the wilderness, you've got, listen, you've got to trust God in the wilderness. Because when you stop trusting God in the wilderness, you will quickly go out of the way. You, you will go quickly off the path. 
I God have mercy. It shocks me sometimes. It shouldn't because I've seen a lot in these years of ministry, but it surprises me sometimes how fast people can get off the path when God has been so good to them. When God has fed them and God has clothed them and God has delivered them and God has broken their chains and just you let a, you let a few days go by where they're not face to face with Moses. You let a few days go by where they're not reminded. Listen, listen, what they don't know is that while Moses is up in that mountaintop, God is giving him explicit instructions. He's giving him absolute direction. The path is being laid out plain. All they've got to do is trust God a little while. But because they don't see it, because it's not right in front of their face, because they don't see it every day. Listen, you've got to be careful, ladies and gentlemen, that you don't begin doubting God just because you don't see the progress you want to see. I've seen people lose their way. I've seen people walk away from God, and they will regret it. Now, they don't regret it while the drinks are flowing. They don't regret it while they're eating and drinking and being merry. They don't regret it while they're out of their mind. They don't regret it while they're indulging in the lust of their flesh. But you let the crash come, and they start regretting it. You let, the, you let the bottom fall out and they start regretting it. It might take months and even years for that to occur. But when it does, somebody better be there with arms of mercy because it's going to be a very difficult time. Don't stand there with a, with a wagging finger. I told you so. Don't stand there like that because such were some of you. We've all been there. We all need mercy. Ha! We all need mercy. Even Moses struggled with that. He was so angry. He came down to Joshua, and Joshua was standing halfway between the people and Moses, and he said, what's going on? I hear a sound. What is the sound? Joshua said, I don't know. I can't tell what it is. He said, it's not, it's not like they're winning a battle. It doesn't sound like they're winning a battle, but it also doesn't sound like they're losing a battle. It sounds like they're singing. It sounds like they're partying. You know, you, know, you can tell when people have lost their way. When they're neither winning or losing a battle. They're not even engaged in the battle. They don't even care. They don't even care anymore. They're just, they're not winning. They're not losing. They're not hot. They're not cold. They're lukewarm. They're not struggling with nothing. They're partying. Living it up. Just like Eve was when she was eating that fruit. Living it up. Just like Samson was while Delilah was cutting his hair, living it up. But you let that living it up pass, and the reaping of the harvest you've sown will make its way to you. And be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that shall you reap. And nobody is going to be able to interfere with that harvest. Nobody. The preacher can't interfere with that harvest. Your parents can't interfere with that harvest. Your spouse, your siblings, your children, your friends, nobody can interfere with that harvest. That's why God said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. It's a, it's a principle. If you sow it, you'll reap it. If you sow it, you'll reap it. And then he said, in case you don't know what I mean, here's what I mean. If you sow to the flesh, that means the lusts, the indulgences, if you sow to the flesh, you shall reap of the flesh corruption. This is Galatians chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8. If you sow to the spirit, prayer, worship, faithfulness, 
loving, living for God, then you shall reap of the Spirit life everlasting. This is why, this is why, think about how twisted this is. People will literally look at the Ten Commandments and say, God was so restrictive. He just doesn't want anybody to be able to do anything. Are you serious? Thou shalt not kill. That's too tough of a... Thou shalt not steal. Do you know the condemnation? Do you know how violating it is to you when you commit adultery? Or when you bear false witness and accuse someone of something falsely and you lie about them? Do you know how condemning that is of you? Do you know how hard it is to, for someone to live with themselves? The only way they can live with themselves is if they sear their conscience with a hot iron. They have to live in denial. They have to mess themselves up emotionally and mentally in order to live through the way. Sin violates you. It is the mercy of God that says, listen, if you'll, if you'll not do these things and you will do these things, life is going to be peaceful for you. Life is going to be joyous for you. Hallelujah. I know, I know your flesh wants to do them. I get it. I know your flesh wants to react. Your flesh wants to be impulsive. That's why Jesus came to save you. He came to save you not only from the sins you have committed in the past, but he wants to save you from the indulging of your flesh in the future. Trust him in the wilderness. Trust him in the wilderness. And they're down there. Moses is up in the mountaintop, and they're down there just having a big old time not trusting God, but they're putting all their faith in this ungodly idol. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe that that moment, that experience, is one of the reasons why they didn't have faith to enter the land of promise. Because they knew how sinful they were and how undeserving they were of the goodness of God. Moses came down off that mountain, and when he saw them, he was so angry that he took the two tablets of stone that he had in his hand. And do you, know, do you know that he actually had to talk God out of being so angry? Do you know what God told Moses when all that was happening? He said, let me alone so I can consume them all. And I will make of you a great nation. Moses had the opportunity of a lifetime. It's going to be all about me. Father Moses had many sons. Had many sons. Had Father Moses. No, 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 no. He had to get, break, break away from it. Of course, it would have still been Father Abraham because Moses was a descendant of Abraham through Isaac. But, but God said, listen, I'll consume all them and I'll make of you a great nation. Moses. And you know what God said when he said it? He said, let me alone so my anger can wax hot. I'm hot. I'm hot right now. But you keep talking to me. You keep praying. You keep approaching me. Leave me alone so I can get more mad and more angry. And I'll consume them all. Do you know what keeps God from getting angry? When we won't leave him alone. I, you know, we've, all, we've often asked the question, why won't God judge America? Why won't God judge our world? Our world, our world is, is, is just, they're out of their minds. The whole world has lost their mind. And they've all thumbed their nose at God and they've all turned against God. And people say, my goodness, God's going to have to judge the world. So I'll tell you what keeps him from doing it. When we won't leave him alone. 
You walk into this house and you start saying, Lord, you are good and your mercy is everlasting and your truth endureth to all generations. And it starts, It listen, it brings the anger of God down. And God begins to show love and mercy and kindness. We saw this with Abraham. He told Abraham, Abraham, watch out. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, wait. Let me find 50 righteous. All right, 50 righteous. I'm going I'm I'm to consume them. No, let me find 40 righteous. Let me find 30. Let me find 20. Let me find 10. Abraham wouldn't leave God alone. And God's anger was not allowed to wax hot. What keeps God's anger from waxing hot are the prayers of the saints and the worship of his people. And the fact that we simply won't leave him alone. We keep praising him and praying for revival. We want to see our family saved. We want to see our city saved. We don't, hey. We don't want to see the judgment of God come upon people. We want people to be saved before the judgment comes. I want, we got to check ourselves. How many ready to check yourself? When God says, get out of my way, I'll consume them all. Moses said, no. What would you have said? That's right, get them. Get them. They've had it coming for a long time. Getting on my nerves. Get them. That's not what Moses said. Moses said, no, no. Oh, God, what would the Egyptians say that you brought us out here to slay us? What would the heathens say? What would the heathens say? Do do it for thy name's sake. Spare them for thy name's sake. And God said, Moses, leave me alone. Leave me alone. And then Moses said something unfair. Thinkable. Moses said, God, if you, if, you, if you destroy them, blot my name out of the book of life. And God said, I won't do that to you, Moses. Do you want to know why Moses said that? I always wondered, why would Moses ever say that? You want to know why he said that, Brother Jordan? Because he knew God wouldn't do that. He had that much confidence Woo! in his standing with God. Ah. Yeah. You, you listen, I'm gonna tell you, you'll understand that about God when you're talking with him like Moses was talking with him. When you're shut in with him in a secret place, you wonder, how could anybody ever know they're standing in God like that? Oh, you'd know it too if you just shut yourself away in the cleft of a rock and stood ha, where Moses stood. Ooh, if I could, I surely would stand on that rock where Moses stood. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And he had talked with him enough to know he would never blot my name out. He had talked with him enough to know he would have mercy on me. He had talked with him enough to know that he loves me. 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 If you're going to destroy them, blot my name out of the book. And God said, no, I won't do that. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, you hear me. And I speak this into your hearing to counter every lie of the devil. God is good. God is good. And God is great. And God is greatly to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. His name is to be praised. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. When those commandments broke, God said to Moses, go hew out two more tablets. Go hew out another tablet of stone. And you bring these, you bring it to me. We're going to put those commandments back. It'll be the word of God, the writing of God. That's what he said. He said the word of God and the writing of God. And do you know when Moses said, show me thy glory, and God said, no man can see my face and live, but he said there is a place beside me in the cleft of the rock. That cleft, that's where we get our word cleave. Hallelujah. That, that's, that, that has to do with something breaking. That rock was Christ, and when the rock was broken, that was Calvary. It was a foretelling and a foreshadowing of when Jesus would be crucified. And when that rock broke, Hallelujah. That's where Moses stood. He stood in the cleft of the rock. And it is in the wound of Christ. The Lord said this to Moses. He said, I will cause my goodness to pass before thee. Hallelujah. And I will declare my name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, when you have that kind of relationship, you can trust God in the wilderness. And 40 days of never hearing from nobody will not affect you like it would other people. Because you're standing with him, trusting God in the wilderness. <laughs> I know last year was a tough year. I know it was a difficult year. I grieved for those who, who maybe were weak in their faith. And I, I prayed for them. And I, I said, God, keep them. They're in a wilderness. They're in a wilderness. Don't go build idols in the wilderness. Trust God in the wilderness. Go up into the mountain with the Lord and talk to him. Let his goodness pass before you. Let his name be declared over you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Trust God in the wilderness. I believe with all of my heart that, that when they came to that place of going into the land of promise that flows with milk and with honey, it was really just supposed to be 40 days turned into 40 years. But notice what Hebrews chapter 3 said. It said, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. This is Hebrews 3.13. Exhort one another daily. Not weekly. Daily. While it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And sin is deceitful. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today if you will hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some when they had heard did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. What promises is your unbelief keeping you from entering into? What blessing is your unbelief preventing you from receiving? What glory of God is your unbelief preventing you from enjoying? Can we lift up our hands right now and say, God, I believe. Lord, I trust. 
I'm going to trust you in the middle of my wilderness. I'm going to trust you in the middle of my difficulty. Hallelujah. Come on, can we stand to our feet right now in the name of Jesus all across this room? <laughs> oh, we praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We trust you, O oh God. We trust you, O oh King. In the name of Jesus, come on all across this house. Let's worship the Lord. <laughs> trust Him in your wilderness. Trust Him in your wilderness. Trust Him in your wilderness. Trust Him in your moment of sickness in your moment of trial in your moment of pain trust in the Lord with all thine heart lean not to thine own understanding but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths oh come on that's it all across this house let's lift our praise unto the Lord let's lift our praise unto the Lord let's lift our praise unto the Lord oh blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be the name of the Lord I wonder if somebody going through a trial right now could just open up your heart and let the praise flow. Somebody going through a difficult time, lift up your heart and your voice and let the praises flow. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I trust you in my wilderness. Lord, I trust you in my wilderness. I trust you in my wilderness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, if you have a need, I want you to come right now in the name of Jesus. Present your need to the Lord. Come on, if you have a need right now, I want you to come forward in the name of Jesus. Present your need to the Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Come on, that's it, that's it. Don't, don't. Don't lose out. Don't lose your way. Don't lose your way. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo, great is your faithfulness. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, I need somebody that's going through a wilderness experience. I want you to give it all to God right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, those that are going through a wilderness experience, come on, give it all to God right now in the name of Jesus. Hila Bahasha. That's it, that's it, that's it. In the name of the Lord. Oh! 
Yes, Lord. Yes, the Lord. God of Abraham. Yes, the Lord. God of covenant. Yes, Lord. Faithful promises. Yes, Lord. Come on, that's it. That's it. Breakthrough. Time and time Breakthrough. Again, Breakthrough. You have proven. Yes, Lord. What you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart, Lord, when you speak, oh, hallelujah. Thank you. 